Well, good evening. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming back. Holiday and family activities, lots of uh, folks doing other things, and that's okay every once in a while, but I'm glad that you're here, and we're going to begin a new study of Samuel this evening. All right, we are working on faith walkers this year. We did it a few years ago, and we decided there were plenty of other faith walkers to talk about, so we started it again this year. And we just finished Gideon. We talked about Samson, and I decided we were kind of rolling on judges there, so I thought we might as well go ahead and catch the last judge and spend a little time on Samuel. Uh, I gave you a overview of Samuel's life there on the first uh, part of your handout. And he led a very interesting life. He was a huge part of the happenings in the Old Testament. Uh, maybe rated number two or so behind Moses uh, in the whole scheme of the, tri- the nation of Israel and all the things that went on. Uh, Samuel was a huge part of things. Uh, his name means heard of God or God has heard. Because his mother asked for him, and we'll talk about that in just a little while. His father, Elkanah, was actually a a Levite. You can track his genealogy down and find out that he was a Levite. So I could have called this Samuel, judge and prophet and priest. Uh, He did some priestly duties, and there's some argument about why he did that and what he did. But uh, I limited it to just judge and prophet. He was the... Basically, the last judge and the first prophet in the scheme of things. His mother was Hannah. Hannah was much more famous than Elkanah because Hannah was barren and could not have a child and prayed to God for Samuel, and God answered and gave her Samuel. Uh, While he was a child, he served in the temple. That was part of the blessing from God. Hannah promised to give him to his service, so she did. Uh, He lived his elementary years in the temple working for Eli the priest. When he was about 13, we don't know exactly when, but about then God called him. Famous story that we tell in Sunday school about God calling him and him not knowing it was God. And we'll talk about that story next week about how to listen to God. Uh, But God called him and gave him some information. He said, I'm going to do something in Israel. And what he meant was, I'm going to get rid of the priesthood of Eli and his family, Uh, they're done, and you're going to lead the people and do a lot of things. So God gave him a very special call when he was just a a youngster. We don't really hear much about him again for about 20 years. We know during that time, when he was a youngster, a teenager, uh, the Philistines came in and defeated Israel. Now, We've done enough judges that you know the the cycle. (laughs) God raises up a judge, delivers the people. They go about 20 years or 40 years, and they mess up again and go back into captivity or oppression, and that's what happened here. The people that got so wicked, even the priests were wicked. And so the Philistines came in, defeated Israel at Ebenezer, took the ark away from them, and suppressed Israel for 20 years. During that time, Samuel was 
kind of gaining a recognition as a prophet. He was traveling around and speaking for God some, but not a whole lot. And he called the people, of course God told him to, but he called the people together at Mizpah, and he got an army together and led the army. So I guess I could have called it judge and prophet and priest and military leader. He, he did lots of things, but he led the army uh, and they defeated the Philistines, and he erected a large monument, a stone memorial. And if you ever wondered what that song was about here, I raised my Ebenezer. That's where it came from. So we'll talk about that a little bit when we get there. Uh, he lived in Rama, basically. He had a couple of locations, it seems. But he lived in one place, and he traveled a circuit. And we'll talk about that when we get to his judging. But he traveled around Israel and judged people and answered questions and delivered the word from the Lord. And he appointed his two sons to follow in his footsteps. And here come the bad news. So far it sounded all pretty good about Samuel, but he didn't do a good job of being a dad. Uh, he messed up with his boys. His boys didn't follow in his uh, famous footsteps, they went wrong, and because of that, the people rejected the system that God had in place and said, we want a king. Of course, Eli's sons were also wicked, and we'll cover them, but uh, Samuel's sons were not good either, and the people said, all right, we want a king like everybody around us. Samuel warned them about that, said that's not a good idea, but God went along with it anyway. Uh, Samuel was chosen to anoint Saul as king, and then he gave a farewell speech, which we'll spend some time on, fairly famous speech, and then he went into retirement. But he didn't really get to retire. He kept getting called on. Saul especially uh, relied on him for advice and called on him every once in a while. And then Saul messed up, so Samuel had to get involved. He had to go tell Saul that he was out of there. And he had to anoint David as the next king. So God was still using him, even though he was semi-retired, I guess. And then he died. And Jewish tradition says he was only 52 when he died. Uh, we don't know exactly. And uh, his death, not quite the end of the story. He makes one curtain call. Uh, he comes back after death, which is pretty unusual in the Bible. Uh, at least we believe he did. The witch of Endor was beseeched by Saul to call up uh, the spirit of Samuel, and it seemed to work. Uh, we'll find out when we get to that story, but uh, he may seem to have made an appearance from the dead and talked to Saul about things. So uh, overall, very eventful life, very uh, uh, instrumental in a whole lot of the changes in Israel. And I think he's worthy of our study as a faith walker. Now, there's so many stories in there that we can't do all of them. We do a few of them. And the first two I picked are kind of no-brainers. They're easy to think about. The first one is the prayer of Hannah. I think that's worth a week's study. And then next week, I think listening to God, how Samuel had to learn to listen to God and who else in the story didn't do so well at listening to God. So we'll talk about that one next week. But today I want to talk about the <clears throat> prayer of Hannah specifically. I entitled it, Prayer Changes Things, which is kind of a uh, regular, often used sermon title, Prayer Changes Things. 
Uh, but I put in parentheses, and people. I think we'll learn something about Hannah and her prayer here tonight if we pay attention. So the story is in 1 Samuel chapter 1, almost of the whole chapter. <clears throat> if I would have told you what we were doing and told you to prepare, you could have read 1 Samuel 1. But it's short enough that let me just read through it quickly here and then we'll come back and talk about the prayer. I think it's helpful to know the exact story. Now, there was a certain man from Ramathaim. And it goes into his history and all that. Uh, his name was Elkanah. And verse 2 says, he had two wives. Okay, there's the first problem we get. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. There's our second problem. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Okay? There's the third problem. Peninnah was a troublemaker and picked on Hannah all the time. Now, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Uh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. And in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, and Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I'm, I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Don't take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord... For him. All right. Interesting story. All sorts of happenings in there, but let's focus specifically on her prayer and see if we can learn some things about prayer. First point I pointed out was that it was a sincere prayer. A very sincere, ultra sincere, because she was so uh, desperate. She was so miserable. She was going through so much that she was completely uh, devastated. And you can see why. Hannah, Elkanah had two wives. 
Uh, that's one thing that baffles me about the Old Testament. Uh, <laughs> we get questions about that on Know Your Bible. Why did why there so many polygamists in the Old Testament? I don't know why God put up with that. I mean, I know the right legal answer is that God didn't approve it, but he allowed it and they did it and all of that. But it, it mystifies me why a man would even think of it in the first place. Yeah. Somebody got it. Uh, <laughs> why anybody would want a whole bunch of wives is mysterious to me. And why God would allow it, I don't know. Because it always makes a mess. I mean, every family we read about, it, it seems to be a problem. But for some reason, God allowed. I'm going to ask when I get there why, why that all went on. But <clears throat> that's the, the first problem here is he had two wives. The second one was they didn't get along. Peninnah uh, seemed to have a baby every time she turned around, and there were lots of them. And Hannah couldn't have one. And it seemed that Peninnah focused in on when they went up to worship at Shiloh. And I imagine that's because they went to get blessings on the children and all of that. And that was a good time to remind Hannah that uh, Peninnah was doing a whole lot better job than she was. Uh, you know, it's going to take so long to bless all my children this year. Uh, you know, how long are you going to... Oh, I forgot. You, you don't have any. And it just on and on and on, and it finally cracked Hannah. She was completely uh, devastated. Uh, the house was full of kids, but Hannah didn't have any. And if Peninnah wasn't enough trouble in the house, uh, poor old Elkanah, uh, poor old Hannah with the husband like Elkanah, uh, he, he knows all this is going on, and what's he say? What's the matter with you? You know, why are you crying? Well, why don't you eat? Why are you down again? The women are getting this. All the men are looking like, well, what's wrong with that? You know, they, <laughs> that's nice to ask. Uh, but he didn't get it. He's got no clue. And then, to top it all off, he says, aren't I enough? You, you know, I, I'm, aren't I better than ten sons? To you? So she had some problems here, folks. Uh, Hannah had a tough old lifestyle, and it had got her completely depressed, despaired, desperate misery. Uh, she was a mess. So that's where her prayer came from. I think we can safely call it sincere. She was serious about this prayer. Uh, and that's a pretty good condition for a good prayer. Psalm 51 verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. That's where Hannah was. Heart was broken. She was Serious about this prayer. Extremely sincere. All right. Second point of the prayer was that it was a prayer of submission. Now look at the first part of chapter, or verse 11, and how she refers to herself. O oh Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant. What translations call it handmaid or maidservant. Okay. That's how she's thinking of herself here. Okay? 
She's not demanding anything from God. She's not praying like that Pharisee that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she's praying as a completely broken servant, uh, a slave that God can do anything he wants to with, but she submits completely to him, just remember me. Okay. Uh, I don't know how long she had been praying about this. I mean, obviously, years, she surely prayed, but uh, maybe this year was especially sincere or especially submissive or something. Uh, for whatever reason, God chose to answer at this time. Thirdly, it was a prayer that involved sacrifice. That's probably the most famous part of the prayer, the second part of verse 11. She says, if you don't forget your servant, but give her a son... Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. In other words, I'll raise him as a Nazarite. Uh, he will be completely dedicated to you. Uh, that's quite a sacrifice. That's quite a promise. Uh, I'll give him to you. I'll let him serve him your whole life. I, I'll take him, give him to the temple is what she meant. Now, some people look at that and say, well, she's bargaining with God here. If you give me a son, I'll give him to you. The problem with that is she didn't have anything to bargain with. You know, she had absolutely no indication she was ever going to have a kid. Yeah. But she was so sincere and so submissive and so sacrificial that she said, if you just grant this request, if you just listen to your maidservant... I'll make sure he serves you his whole life. Yeah. So she was willing to make that sacrifice, and when Samuel came along, she did. Uh, of course, I mean, there's a whole lesson in that, probably more suitable for Mother's Day, but there's a whole lesson in there that whether you give them to the temple or not, uh, that's how you're supposed to raise your kids. You're supposed to consider them uh, the Lord's child, and you're raising them for him and, and all of that, but that's another sermon. Uh, all right, number four. It was a prayer of great persistence uh, or intensity, maybe, would be a suitable word for that, too. I mean, she was serious, <laughs> persistent, intense in this prayer. She was so intense that she was just speaking without speaking audibly. Uh, she was pouring out her heart to God, saying all of these things in her heart and moving her lips and all that. It was so intense that Eli took notice of it. Now, you know, you think she had a hard life with Peninnah, the other wife, and a goofy husband that didn't know what the trouble was. Uh, now the preacher thinks she's drunk. <laughs> as if we don't have enough problems, he comes up and says, Lady, you got to quit drinking. And she said, No, that's not it. That's not, that's not the problem here. I, I'm just praying. That's how serious I am about this. That's how intense I am. She tried to tell him how brokenhearted she was, and Eli got it then. So Eli listens to her and tells her that, to go in peace and all that. We'll finish that in just a moment. Okay, so she was very serious about this thing, very intense and persistent. Number five I put down, there were no reservations in this prayer. Okay. 
She didn't hold anything back. I don't know how long she prayed. But it just tells us over and over that she was pouring out her heart, that she was um, uh, out of great anguish and grief. Uh, I don't know how long she went on, but she didn't hold anything back. She just poured out her whole heart to God and said, here's what I need. Here's what your servant needs. That's how Jesus told us to pray, wasn't it? He said, you just tell your father what you need. He, he knows already, but you tell him. And Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares. Anxieties is another translation. Cast all your cares, all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Don't just give him part of it. Give him all of it. And she did. You know, I mean, we know about her asking for the son. I bet she had Peninnah in there somewhere and probably Elkanah too. Uh, she told him the whole story, I bet. Uh, that's how we're supposed to treat prayer. Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing. Pray about it. Yeah. So Hannah did that. She prayed submissively, sincerely, sacrificially, persistently, without any reservations. And here's the result. Number six. It was answered exactly as requested. Verse 19. Early the next morning, they arose, they worshiped for the Lord, they went back to their home. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Answered exactly as requested. Yeah. Now, that's a great sermon on prayer, isn't it? That's got all the pieces in there. And I just want to get a little confirmation on this, on how good a sermon this was about prayer. Give me an amen on this. Well, let's, we don't do that well. Let's do hand raising. Well, we don't do that well either, but let's do that anyway. Uh, raise your hand if you understand this is how it works. You pray a sincere prayer, a submissive prayer, a sacrificial prayer, a persistent prayer, one without reservation. You will get exactly what you ask for, exactly as you ask for it. Is that the way it works? I don't have many folks joining in here. So what's the problem with the sermon? It worked here. It worked for Hannah, but are you guys telling me it doesn't always work that way in your life? If I turned the mic over to folks to come up and tell about something they prayed for as hard and as sincere and as submissive and everything else as Hannah, and they didn't get it, do you think we'd get out of here by midnight? Before the folks got done telling their stories. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes. It works that way. It worked here. This is a great story. Uh, this is a great thing to tell the Sunday school kids. But when you get as old as Hannah. You know better. It doesn't always work that way. So as faith walkers, how do we deal with this? Bear in mind, Hannah, I don't know how many years she spent 
before she got this answer. So maybe it's a matter of timing. And this isn't a sermon about prayer and it's got to be in the will of God and it's got to be this and that and the other. I'm just trying to point out that here's a great model for prayer. And in Hannah's case, it got her exactly what she asked for, exactly as requested. I mean, as soon as they got home. You know, it was the trip home plus nine months and we had Samuel. That's a pretty good response. Now, as faith walkers, if we admit, we realize that our prayers don't always get answered exactly as requested, how do we deal with that? How do we think through that? What do we do? Well, I'll give you a couple of verses here. Uh, Let's go over to Philippians 4. Most of you know what that says anyway, but you can turn over to Philippians 4. Verse 6 and 7. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. 6. Okay, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. Okay? What was Hannah worried about? Didn't have a kid. That was eating her up. It was destroying her. So she was anxious about something. So Paul said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Okay, there's steps one through five. Got something wrong, you got a problem, you got something you're worried about, you got something you need. Don't be anxious about it. Present it to God. Hannah showed us a great model of how to do that, one through five. So if the pattern followed, like I tried to imply it would, then verse seven would say, and you'll get what you asked for. If you don't worry about anything, but tell God about it, and you'll get it. Is that what 7 says? No. That's not the promise. Peter said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You will get that. He doesn't say you'll get what you asked for. And we know all the reasons. That's another story. But he says you will get the peace of God. It'll guard your heart. You won't understand it. You can't prove how it works. You can't figure out how it works. But you'll get that peace. Okay. Now let's go back to 1 Samuel. And I started in verse 19 where she got the answer. She got the kid. What's verse 18 say? After her prayer, after she petitioned God, after she gave it to him, sacrificially, submissively, sincerely, all of this, after she gave it to God, then she went away and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. What had happened? Didn't have the kid yet. Didn't know she was going to have the kid. 
But she was better. She had this peace of God. I have given it to God. I can't worry about this anymore. Trying to figure out why Penn and I have ten kids and Elkanah doesn't know what's going on and all that. This is killing me. So I'm going to give it to God. And when she gave it to God, and Eli did say, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. But when she left there, she went and ate. And remember, she couldn't eat before. Elkanah said, why why are you so depressed you can't even eat? She was first thing she did was went and ate. And her face was no longer downcast. Now, did her prayer change things? It changed the history of the world. <laughs> it brought this great prophet and judge and priest, Samuel, into the world. But even before Samuel got there, even before that part of it got answered, that prayer changed Hannah. That's why I picked the title for this, Prayer Changes Things and People. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 doesn't promise that we'll get everything we ask for. But it promises if we pray properly, if we we learn that God's in control, and we give it to Him, then we're going to have this peace about us. Now, if you say, well, that doesn't happen in my life, well, it's not God's fault. You're not doing something right. You're not praying with faith. You're not faith walking. The uh, I forgot. I was going to make some reference to what we had talked about before, but it lost me there. Okay, so yes, things changed. Hannah got a son. Things were were good in the house, and we'll find out next week that she did follow through. She gave him to the the temple and. Uh, how much she participated in raising, we don't know, but uh, she did follow through exactly what she said, and God answered her prayer in that. But prayer changes things, and prayer changes people. We're guaranteed that it will change us, that it will give us the peace of God if we pray properly and to the one who's in control. Now I remember who it was. It was Gideon. That's who I was going to mention. When did he get things figured out? Early on, he still didn't have confidence. He still wasn't ready to be the great warrior. He still had a long ways to go. But remember when he got that peace? When he decided God was in running things. Okay, That's when he built the altar, Jehovah Shalom. The peace of God. He, he's going to take care of it. Okay? He was still scared to death. Just like Hannah didn't know if she was going to get a son or not. But she had that peace that comes from God and his Not understandable, beyond understanding. All right, this lesson is yours. We'll tackle next week. uh, No, we won't. Next week we'll get a singing session. And then the week after that we will tackle listening to God when he speaks. The lesson is yours. If you're here this evening and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you with that. If you have some other need of this family, a prayer request, or want us to pray with you about something, we'd be happy to do that too. I'll be at the front. Come if you need to. Let's stand and sing.